This week on Business Brief, we'll hear about an organization in Springfield that is looking to use 3D printing technology to provide more homes for unhoused people. Then we'll decipher the details of new utility bills Missourians are starting to see. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chelsea Peter. Chelsea, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good on this gloomy day. What about you? I'm doing great. I'm super excited for Halloween's coming up in a few days. Uh, What about you? Yes, I am. What are you going to be for Halloween this year? I am being Wanda, the Scarlet Witch from uh, Marvel, so that is super exciting. I'm hyped. Yeah, what about you? I'm going to be Mia from Princess Diaries. Oh, that is such a classic. I love it. Yes. Well, are you ready to dive into this week's headlines? Let's do it. The United Auto Workers Union said Wednesday it had reached a tentative contract agreement with Ford. The deal still requires approval of about 57,000 union members who work for the automaker. The pact is seen as a potential step towards ending UAW strikes against General Motors and Stellantis because it will help set parameters for those negotiations. Ford will reportedly give workers a 25% general wage hike plus cost of living adjustments. Workers will get added retirement benefits and the union will be allowed to strike over planned factory closures. The current strike is in its sixth week and General Motors workers in Wentzville have been off the job the whole time. Missouri and 32 other states are jointly suing Meta over claims the company contributed to a youth mental health crisis. The states allege Facebook and Instagram's parent company deliberately uses features that cause young users to become addicted to its platforms. The state also claims the company collects data on users under 13 without consent. The suit is seeking financial damages and an end to the use of certain features by Meta's platforms. Nine additional states are filing their own lawsuits against the social media company. In another social media legal case, the United States Supreme Court temporarily blocked an order from a lower court in a lawsuit filed by Missouri's former attorney general. The lawsuit argues the federal government worked with social media companies such as Facebook and Twitter to suppress freedom of speech. The lower court originally ruled the Biden administration violated the First Amendment and barred the White House and executive branch agencies from communicating with social media companies. The Supreme Court's temporary stay will remain until the court makes a ruling on the case. Parrot Corporation won the contract to build Boeing's planned $2 billion expansion at St. Louis Lambert International Airport. Parrot, which is based in St. Louis County, says construction on the over 1 million square foot project could begin early next year. The project is expected to employ 1,200 workers and is dependent on whether Boeing is awarded new defense contracts. Missouri Republicans are calling for the resignation of Missouri House Speaker Dean Plocker after records showed he filed false expense reports to be reimbursed for campaign-funded travel. Secretary of State and Republican gubernatorial candidate Jay Ashcroft expressed concern on social media, arguing Plocker should undergo an investigation into the records. Plocker says the records released were a result of administrative errors. Business Brief will continue after a quick word from our sponsors. Know of a business or nonprofit in Boone County that has shown kindness to our community? Nominate them today for a Kindness in Business Award. The Kindness in Business Awards are proudly presented through a collaboration between Missouri Business Alert and Children's Grove. The awards aim to celebrate kindness, resiliency, and sacrifice among businesses in Boone County. 
County. Nominate local businesses and nonprofits for these awards at kindnessinbusinessawards.com. Nominations are open through October 4th. Again, you can nominate at kindnessinbusinessawards.com. Hey, Chelsea, what's the coolest thing you've seen 3D printed? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe a toy? Okay, how about a house? Wait, that's actually a thing? Yes, a construction group called Icon finished a community of 3D printed houses in Texas a few months ago. Whoa, interesting. I didn't know you could print something so big. Are houses being 3D printed in Missouri as well? Yeah, so last week I traveled to Springfield to visit Eden Village. It's a community of formerly unhoused people who live in tiny houses. One of the leaders of Eden Village, Nate Schluter, talked about the future of the community and how it involves 3D printing new homes. Here's that story. 31 brightly colored houses line a road behind a gate in a small building. The houses are identical in their small stature, but all decorated differently. Uh, I was pretty sick at the time. and uh, I was uh, homeless, living in a tent. And a friend I worked with knew about Eden Village. He lived here, actually. Filled out an application and they accepted it and I moved in. I've been here ever since. That's Kevin Lyons, who goes by Garrett. He's a resident at Eden Village, an organization that operates two communities of tiny homes in the Springfield area. Lyons has lived at Eden Village for nearly four years. Eden Village provides housing to those who are unhoused. Really just trying uh, to create a neighborhood like you and I would live in, um, provide people the same some of the same opportunities that we've had um, to be settled, to have a place to live and to be a neighbor. That's Nate Schluter. He's the chief visionary officer at Eden Village. Houses are currently built through contracting to another Missouri company called SoulSource. They're nearly 400 square feet and have updated appliances and cozy wall decor. The homes come shipped to us completely like this without the decorations. The appliances, everything is shipped. It attaches to the back of a semi-truck, it backs in, um, we tie it down with hurricane ties. Now, Schluter says Eden Village is ready to expand to a third community, all while diving into the realm of 3D printing. For Schluter, printing homes is cost and resource efficient. He says it's about 30% cheaper to print homes than to contract people to build them. So my three or four printing guys can do what seven different trades could do. Right, so you've got your sheetrock, your insulation, your framers, um, your painters, your vinyl siding people, your window installation people, all those kind of things all happen within the context of four people and a 3D printer. The potential cost reduction comes at a time when inflation is impacting the construction of homes using Eden Village's current process. For the first Red House in 2016, we paid $30,000 for. And these were 35 on this village. And the last village, they were 40, 42. And now they're, the construction costs continue to be out of, just as they're coming down, inflation rises, which translates to nothing. Schluter says printing homes will also allow Eden Village to respond to the homelessness crisis in a more timely manner. 3D printing allows us to have a rapid response to homelessness as a catastrophe or disaster. Eden Village is partnering with the Drury University's Hammond School of Architecture to engineer model 3D printed homes. 
Currently, the 3D models are undergoing tests for durability, but the houses aren't expected to be ready until next year. For now, Eden Village is continuing to provide housing through its current homes, which are built off-site. For our next story, I'm joined by reporter Lucy Valeski, who has been reporting on how customers of utility companies Evergy, Ameren, and Liberty could see a change in their electricity bills based on when they use energy rather than solely how much energy they use. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so tell me about this new electricity rate structure. Well, the exact rates and plans will differ across the three companies you mentioned. However, all three will make time-of-use electricity rates either the default plan or mandatory for their customers following a ruling by the state commission that regulates these companies. So what are time-of-use rates? Time-of-use rates are based on supply and demand. Customers will be charged more for using electricity at times when a lot of people also use electricity, like in the late afternoon and early evening. They will also be charged less if they use energy at times when people are not using a lot of energy, like in the middle of the night. The time-of-use rate structure tries to incentivize customers to do electricity-heavy activities, like running a washing machine or dishwasher, at different times of the day in hopes of putting less stress on the power grid. Okay, so are the plans the same across every utility company? No, the plans vary between Evergy, Ameren, and Liberty, and they may also change in the future. Right now, Ameren and Liberty offer a few different optional time-of-use plans, some with larger price differences between high-usage and low-usage times, and others with a smaller price difference. Beginning in the middle of October, Evergy started transitioning their customers to mandatory time-of-use rates, and people could choose from four different plans. The default plan has very low price differential between high-energy use times and low-energy use times. Customers won't save a lot of money if they run their dishwasher at night, but they also won't be charged extra if they choose to run it right after dinner around 7 or 8 o'clock. Some of the other plans Evergy offers charges customers more for using energy at those high-use times, but they can also save more if they relegate some of the high-use tasks to the middle of the night or early morning. So why the pivot to this structure? Regulators and advocates think that the change could help customers save money while also putting less stress on the power grid. The Missouri Office of the Public Council is in charge of representing the customer interest in state rate cases. Jeff Mark, who is the chief economist at the Public Council, says that the rate options will give customers more opportunities to control their electricity bills. He also says that the utility companies recently invested in smart metering systems or a technology that allows customers and utility companies to track when and how much electricity a household is using. These technologies are expensive and could have raised the price of electricity, so Mark says regulators were putting pressure on companies to make use of the investment. So will the time-based rates be effective in achieving those goals? I spoke with Graham Turk, a graduate researcher at MIT. He says that the time-of-use rates give customers a better idea of how much energy costs because it varies based on how many people are using the power grid. He also says that with increasing electrification, like the use of electric vehicles or electric heaters, there will be more stress put on the grid. When the grid has to be updated, the cost will be reflected in customer electricity bills. He says that the time-of-use rates may be an important piece in the puzzle to help lower electricity costs during an era of increased demand for energy as more utility companies start to offer time-of-use rates as the default option. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. For more on time-of-use rates, you can check the story out on MissouriBusinessAlert.com. Mm-hmm.
It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Chelsea, what do you have for us this week? My word is anti-BDS. Anti-what now? BDS. It stands for Boycott, Divestment, or Sanction. The BDS movement prohibits trade with Israel and advocates for disengaging with businesses that have relations with Israel. Anti-BDS measures go against that movement. So anti-BDS measures essentially protect business ties with Israel? Exactly. Congress passed anti-BDS legislation prohibiting businesses from boycotting relations with Israel in the 70s. But at least 36 states have also passed their own form of this legislation. Interesting. So does Missouri have one of these laws? Yes, and it's pretty new compared to the federal legislation. Missouri's anti-BDS law passed in 2020. Since then, most companies that do business in Missouri have signed contracts that bar them from participating in BDS movements. Okay, so what happens if a business violates this law? Well, based on what's happened in the past, it looks like Missouri would investigate the case. Morningstar, an investment firm, purchased a company with a product that stated it wasn't safe to do business in Israel's West Bank. Missouri opened an investigation into Morningstar and 18 other states signed on. The purchase company has since changed its practices, but the attorney general's office says the investigation is still open. Got it. And what's Missouri's relationship with Israel like? Israel is the strong trade partner of the United States as a whole, and also of Missouri specifically. Missouri exported over $130 million in goods and services to Israel last year. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My word is arts. Okay, so you're going to have to be more specific. That's super vague. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm referring to the state of the arts in St. Louis. Ah, yeah. okay. <laughs> so what does that look like in St. Louis? So a new study from an advocacy group called Arts for America has shed some light on this. Arts are a huge influence on the city as the sector contributed nearly $900 million to the St. Louis economy and supported almost 12,000 jobs last year. But while the arts are boosting the economy, local artists, especially those in marginalized communities, are struggling financially. Yikes. So what does this look like specifically? A group called Creatives Count has conducted a study that shows more than one-third of arts practitioners in St. Louis are just getting by or finding it difficult to get by. This is higher than the national average. And 30% of white respondents reported those financial difficulties, compared to 46% for artists of color. For a closing thought, here's Nate Schluter again on how Eden Village impacts the Springfield community. Um, It allows us to address homelessness um, like the disaster and catastrophe that it is. If homelessness was a natural disaster, um, if it was the same as a hurricane um, or a tornado, um, there would be groups, uh, nonprofits like Convoy of Hope would come and they give you, they hand you a bunch of stuff, food, clothing, toilet paper, all this stuff, right? Um, And that's what you do immediately after a disaster. And we do that in this town with homelessness. We give people clothing and food and we keep people alive on the streets. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-hosts, Chelsea Peter, editors Yasha Mika Wychuk, Brianna Davis, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.